Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. So if you've read the Gospels much, you know, without having to go very far into them, that Jesus is not fond of comfort zones. I may have found that out. He didn't say, if you're going to follow me, take up your pillow and blanket. He said, take up your cross, right? He didn't say, if you come and follow me, I want to be this close. He said, no, you have to hate father, mother, wife, brother, sister, even your own life, or you can't even start on the journey. So we might, just saying that as an intro, we might color outside of the lines of comfort zone this morning. How, how many is okay with that? Okay, say to the person next to you, I surrender my comfort zones to Jesus. Go ahead. Full participation. I surrender my comfort zones to Jesus. All right. We'll see if you meant it. My text is from Revelation chapter 3. The title of my message this morning is Lay your image down before it takes you down. Lay your image down before it takes you down. Revelation 3. I want to read three verses here and just kind of go after it. I try to stay in the lines on time, but you know, I'm not great at that either. This is the Lord Jesus The letters to the seven churches are really helpful and instructive. Jesus is jealous. He's jealous for his name in the churches. Church at Sardis, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. This is said five times in the seven letters, I know your deeds directly, and in the other two letters, he says, I know. He starts out with telling them, I know exactly who you are, what you are, and where you are, and what you've been through. I know your deeds. Now, we, I, I kind of want to bring a balance a little bit because we talk a lot about being instead of doing, right? But, but can I tell you this, that the Scripture emphasizes doing in a huge way. Not just being, because being, if it's real, always produces doing. It always does. If the relationship with Jesus is real, it produces action. Oh, no, brother, we want fire. I know. Let me give you a verse if you want fire. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 11. It says, be aglow and blazing with the Spirit serving the Lord. So true fire makes you serve. Not getting very many amens yet. I know your deeds. Here's the thing. Your words can lie, but your life cannot. I'm a grace guy, 100%. That's how I learned to walk with God. I've never been a legalist in my whole Christian life of 40 three or 44 years. I just haven't been one. Because the Lord taught me to rely upon Him and that His grace would empower me and enable me. But here's the deal. Grace produces something in our lives. It produces good works, right? Ephesians 2.10. Come on, y'all. Quote it with me. We were created in Christ Jesus. Why? What were we created in Christ Jesus for? For purpose, good works. Are you kidding me, you legalist? No. Jesus says in, in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says that Jesus gave himself for us that he might purify a people for his own possession who would be zealous for what? Zealous for intimacy, brother. Yes, I believe in intimacy. 
But can I tell you something? True intimacy with Jesus always produces fruit, right? It always produces fruit. So Jesus comes in and he says, I know your deeds. I know everything about you. That you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. This is really staggering, right? How come Jesus didn't just go in there and start preaching identity to them? Don't you know who you are? Don't you know who you are? Why didn't he? Come on. I said, I'm going to get outside the comfort zone today. I'm going to. Because what they needed to hear was what they really were and how they were living in ways that were contradictory to his purposes for their life. That's what they needed to hear. That's why Jesus said, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. And you have a reputation. You have an image. That you're on fire. Fire. We're on fire. But you're dead. The Son of God looking. Why is he doing? Is Jesus bringing a beat down? No, he's bringing a wake-up call. Because here in these next verses, he's going to say, you're asleep. Here's what happens. When we rely upon image, it puts us to sleep spiritually. When we have an external image that we have created, it makes us slumber spiritually, and we don't even know our true spiritual state. Let me read you a quote from Peter Kreeft. He's a professor... University, Boston University. He's written 80 books. He's a believer. Here's what he says. We can easily imagine, think of, contemplate, and be attracted to the idea of giving our whole selves and lives over to God without actually doing it. And think we have done it because we have imagined it. This is so common. I have a heart for this. This is not a beat down. If you feel beat down, you shouldn't. This is a challenge for us to actually be honest before the Lord. We can talk about things so much that we actually think we're doing them and we're not. That's what happened in Sardis. You got the name that you're the hottest church in town. You're on fire. You're passionate. You're, and Jesus said, you know what? You're, you're actually, I know your deeds. I know everything about you. But you're dead. This is really stunning. I know these aren't popular verses to preach on. Why do I want to even talk about this this morning instead of happy things? Like I preached on the love of overwhelming love of God the last two times I preached. They're not mutually exclusive. This is the love of God. When he wakes us up from our state and helps us to realize where we are and what we need, that's merciful to wake up now rather than wake up at the judgment seat. You you know what's a surprising and shocking thing, right? You've read these verses in Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who, finish it for me, those who what? Those who do the will of the Father. See, the doing of what Jesus commands us is not optional. It's actually at the heart of what discipleship is. Oh, no, we just, we're going to know the truth and the truth is going to make us free. Not exactly. I know that's John 8, 32, but you got to follow. There's a continuum that happens there where Jesus is speaking to the Jews who believed in him. This is what John says in chapter 8, verse 29, verse 30. He repeats it again. To the Jews who believed in him. So on some level, they believed in Jesus. They admired him. They respected him. They saw that God was on him. They saw that he was doing miracles. They believed in him on some level. But then seven verses later, they're ready to murder him. Because he spoke the truth and called out their issues. And in that passage, he says, if you're truly my disciples, you have to continue in my word. That means, well, why would he say continue? It's the same word as persevere. Why would he say you have to persevere in my word? Because sometimes it's stinking hard. Right? It's not all cotton candy, right? 
Taking up your cross daily is not always feel good. This is not a feel good thing. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. Then you'll know the truth. That's step two. And then the truth will set you free. But there's a process of persevering through the word, of taking it in and saying, no, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you told me to do, regardless of how it makes me feel. And in that process, when we own that word, it becomes, it reveals the truth in us. And then it makes us free. But we want to tell people, we're going to give you one scripture verse and spit it on top of you, and then all of a sudden everything's going to go away in your life, and it's not true. Am I coloring outside the lines a little bit? Why does this concern me? Because I love the bride of Christ. I love the church of Jesus. I love this body. The Lord knows that's true. But I see trends in our culture that concern me greatly. They don't concern me greatly because they're in the culture. They concern me greatly because they've gotten into the church. Where now we have an image and everything is exaggerated and hyped. This is the greatest move of God that's ever happened. You know, all this kind of things going on. I'm like, no, how does that happen every single week? Probably not. And in the language that we use, so, so just bear with me here. I'm coloring out something. I get it. We, we use language that's hyperbolic. It's over the top. And it creates in us an image that if we spent time in quiet time with the Lord, then we have some kind of deep and great intimacy with Jesus. I, I know this steps on toes. I'm not meaning to, to be harsh in any way. But listen intimacy with Jesus produces fruitfulness. This is what John said in the scripture, 1 John 2, verse 6. If anyone says that he abides in him, you're connected, then he must also walk in the same way that he walked. That's the, that's the test, <clears throat> right? This is really quiet in here today. James chapter 1, verse, you don't have to turn there, verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only who do what? Deceive or delude themselves. So here's the thing, if we're constantly hearing the word and we're actually not putting it into practice in our lives, what are we actually doing? Okay, let's, let's ask that question again. If we're constantly hearing the Word, constantly reading the Word, we're reading what Jesus said, and we're not putting it into practice. We're not doing the thing. Oh, that's legalism. No, it's discipleship. If you're my disciples, you continue in my Word. If we're constantly doing that, but we're not putting it into practice, we're just coming and listening and critiquing it. I wish he wouldn't get so loud and spit on the people in the front row. Okay, I get that. I get that. Try to take that off the table and go, is this the scripture? Is this the word of the Son of God? And, and do we actually look at it when we read it? Are we going there to get something that's going to bless us and make us feel a certain way? Or are we going there to find out, I'm a disciple. Jesus, what do you want me to do? How am I going to put this into practice in my life? Right? Just asking the question. For the one who hears the word and doesn't put it into practice is like one who looks at his own face in a mirror and he goes away and immediately he does. He forgets what he looks like. But the one who listens intently to the perfect law of liberty and embraces it and is an effective doer of it, that one will be blessed. So I have a question. Is it not image building if we are going to Scripture to get knowledge about it and just to be able to, to spew that out? Like, what is the purpose of Scripture? I get that there's a lot of purposes for it, but for the disciple, our main purpose is to see what does the Son of God want me to do, and that's what I do. And Jesus says to the church, 
in Sardis, I know your deeds. I know them. You have a name in your life, but actually, you're dead. Notice this in verse 2. Wake up. Wake up. This is, a, this is a dangerous time in our culture. Everything is about image, and it's creeped into the church a lot, in my view. The hyperbole, the overstatement, and just the whole image thing of, you know, just the, the language that's out there, it, it, it irks me a little bit because I read in the Gospels, and I don't see Jesus actually flattering people. I mean, he says, he might say something like, he's a good man. Not that, you're so awesome, you're amazing, like, you're the most anointed, like, no. I know, I see the faces. I know, coloring outside the lines, but okay, can you just hear what I'm trying to go at? Because the reality is, and I lost track of where I was in Matthew chapter 7, Okay. There's, the reality is, and the only way that I can figure it, is there are going to be multitudes of members of charismatic churches that are going to be astonished and terrified on the day of judgment. There might be some in this room. I pray not. Matthew 7, 21, where I started and got off track. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the ones who do the will of my Father. And then Jesus says, many, M-A-N-Y, many, that's not just a few, many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name? We prophesied in your name. We did many mighty miracles in your name. How is that possible? I don't really know. I don't really know. But Jesus said that is going to happen, and, and I believe it. I'm going with Jesus. That's going to happen. There's going to be multitudes, and they're astonished. What are you talking about? Look at our credentials. We did signs and wonders. He's like, that's, the, that's not the thing that impresses me. What I want to know is, did you do the will of the Father? Because image blinds us, it makes us slumber, and it makes us asleep, and we think everything's good, and we can't really see clearly. I know this is sobering stuff. I'm sorry, I always cringe when I feel like the Lord gives me a word that's edgy, because I'm already edgy anyway. So this is like, it's just crazy. Like, Lord, really? Give it to somebody calm like Brandon. I mean, he'll just come up here and He's just going to go with the smooth flow, and he can say those things, and everybody, when I come up there, everybody's like. <laughs> Many shall say to me on that day. That's just super sobering. If we believe that that is a true thing, then you have to believe that the propensity for us to be blind to our life, it's so staggering to me, not just in this passage, but also in Luke chapter 13, if you want to read that sometime, about verse 25, 26. There's a group of people there that he says at the judgment. You think, oh, they knew their whole life that they weren't living for God. No, they didn't. They were astonished at the judgment, and they're arguing with the Lord. Lord, you taught in our streets, and we, we had dinner and lunch with you. And he says in both cases, depart from me. I didn't even know you. You who put the image out there of the great miracle worker, or you who put the image out there of being the one who's so intimate with God, I didn't even know you. You who work iniquity, if your life does not reflect the reality of Jesus and his holiness in you, then you're not mine. It was an all an image. I know that's super hard, staggering, astonishing stuff, but it's real. If Jesus said that's going to happen, it's going to happen. What we are in our hidden life is what we are. The things that really matter are the things that will be shown to be true about us 
at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what really matters. Just like with a house, the foundational materials or the way the foundation is laid is the most important thing about the house. It's not the prettiest. I've been around construction for a lot of decades when I had my landscape company. And I never once saw a wife there at the job site raving about what an amazing foundation it was. Or about how sturdy the walls were. Look at the bolts they anchor that wall into. It was nothing like that. It's look at the carpet and look at the appliances and the window. Oh my goodness, this is what I've always wanted. I get that. That's great. But the most important thing about the house is how the foundation is laid because everything else rests upon it. I've told the story before, but we were building our house 28 years ago. Isn't that crazy, Joe? I'm not even that old. I don't know how that could happen. <laughs> he's coming in with a, the studs are all up and there's no drywall up yet. And he comes in with a, a level, my contractor now, and he puts it on the, the studs like this, holding it up there. And all of a sudden, he goes berserk and he starts kicking the studs out of the wall. Boom! Boom! I'm going, dude, what are you doing? He goes, no, they're not right. And if they're not straight, when you put the drywall up there, it'll be wavy. You can't do that. He went and got the framing guy. And he said, I won't tell you exactly what he said. <laughs> he said, that sucks. Fix it. And I'm so grateful. And if Jesus, listen. If there's a moment even here today where something in our heart gets awakened or tweaked to things that are unreal, and I don't mean unreal in the hyperbolic sense, but they're not real, this would be merciful. Wouldn't that have been merciful for those people in Matthew chapter 7, for somebody to help them to see, like, let's take a minute here to analyze the stuff in our life, how much of it is actually image and how much is actually real where I'm doing the thing that the Father told me to do. We need to take those inventories. Paul said to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith, right? He probably didn't get amens either when he said that. Verse to again, wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For listen to this, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So there's deeds that God lays out in his calling for us that he wants us to do, right? That's Ephesians 2.10. We talked about how he's prepared beforehand all the good works for us to walk in. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works because he wants the reality of Jesus in us to actually do things in this world. Again, I'm not the guy who wants to go around spinning all the plates and just be as busy as you possibly can. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, that there are issues that we need to obey, and the Word of God is not something that we just titillate our mind with. And stuff. I love to study the Word of God. Come to my house and look at my library. Like, I love to read. I love to study. I love to get into the wrestle with people. I love to wrestle all about Scripture. All that kind of stuff. I love that. But the end goal has to be understanding so we actually obey it and give Him what He wants. He's not impressed with my knowledge of Scripture. I mean, no, that's true. He wants my heart to bow to His Word. That's what disciples do. That's what disciples do. That's what the calling of the church is, to make disciples. And what are disciples? They're ones who actually obey what Jesus said, even at great cost and sacrifice. That's what disciples are. Y'all, take a breath. Verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard. Here we go. What have you received and heard? And the Word of God. And keep it. Do it. And repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, 
and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. This is the church that Jesus gave his blood for and died for. So he has authority to say these things. And he's speaking it out of love. Jesus can say cutting things because he died for us. But we should hear. We should hear the voice of the Son of God who says to every church, I know what you are. I know what you're doing. I know what's real, and I know what's just cotton candy. And like, we need to take inventory. If we're putting out an image, here's a question that I ask sometimes. Do we want people to believe something about us that's not true? Do we want people to believe things about us that isn't really true? Then that's a good indicator that we're in the image sleep. If we're afraid for people to know the truth about us, we're probably in the image sleep. If we're afraid for our weakness and our flaws to come forth, we're probably in the image sleep because we want people to think, oh, that we're the super spiritual or that we're the dedicated or that we're the this or that. It doesn't matter. Here, listen, this is the reality. Only one thing matters. It's what he knows. It's what he knows. And for us to take that as the thing that matters instead of, Jesus said in John chapter 5, right? Verse 44, he said, Since you seek the glory of men and not the glory that comes only from God, how can you believe? Because if you're seeking the approval of people, and that's what this is all about, and it's pride in in its most flagrant form, I want people to look at me in such a way and go, oh, you're so amazing. Like we have to lay down the image thing before it takes us down. And in our culture today, it's exceedingly difficult to do it. And in the church today, unfortunately, it's reinforced over and over again, the whole image thing of the hyperbole and the hype and all that stuff. It wears me out. Can I just be honest with you? It wears me out. It makes me want to pull my hair and scream sometimes. I'm like, shut up. Just tell the truth. You don't have to hype it. Just tell the truth. Still coloring outside the lines, right? Luke chapter 12. It's a powerful passage that's marked my life. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And then we got one more, maybe. See if we get to it. Luke 12. Under these circumstances... After so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another. The the word there is actually myriads. It's the same word that's used for how many angels are in heaven. This was a big crowd. There's this massive crowd. It's like a European soccer game where they're trampling each other. There's thousands. Myriad means literally 10,000, so 10,000 times 10,000. It's a lot of stinking people. There's a massive crowd out there. They're all gathered there to hear Jesus. They've heard he's worked these miracles. And so what does he begin to do? He begins to sift them hard. Read the next three chapters. He's talking about if you really want to be my disciple, then this is what it's going to cost you, everything. Under the circumstances, so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is, we want to say legalism, right? The leaven of the Pharisees is not legalism. It's hypocrisy. What are they doing? They're pretending. They love to stand in the marketplace and think people are spirit, have people think they're spiritual pray these long prayers, wear the phylacteries on their head. Oh, they know the word so great. It's so amazing, isn't it? They love that. They, Jesus said, are whitewashed tombstones. Outwardly, you look beautiful, but it's all image because inside you're full of dead men's bones. That's hypocrisy. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, 
People looking at you and applauding you, that's heady stuff and it can totally mess you up in your head. Don't let it do that. Don't be like the stinking Pharisees because they're all about just the praise and applause of men. That's why they do the externals because, oh, they're so spiritual. Jesus tells his disciples in this teachable moment, don't let that get inside of your head. When these crowds are out there ooing and aahing and how great it is, here's what you need to learn. It's not about them and it's not about you. It's about God. Nothing, there is nothing, verse 2, covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. He's going after the heart now. Even though they give you all of this applause and they think, oh, you're so great. He's going, that's going to screw you up in your head if you don't realize that doesn't matter. What matters is whether you're doing the will of the Father. That's what matters. That's all that matters. And on that day, you better keep eternity in your mind or else you're going to get messed up with the whole image thing and you're going to go down with it just like the Pharisees did. Their heart was so hard, they couldn't recognize the Messiah when he came, even though they studied all about him their whole life and prayed for him to come. When he came, they hated him and crucified him. So hard-hearted were they that when he raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Is this amazing to you? He raised Lazarus from the dead. They go, oh, dang, now we're going to have to kill Lazarus too. Dude, how hard-hearted can you get? There's nothing covered up that will not be revealed, hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. What is Jesus trying to get them to focus on? Who you are in the hidden person. That's all that matters. It's not the aura. It's not the crowd. It's not the venue. It's not the hype. The people will worship you. The revival history, which I'm a student of for decades is littered with the bodies of those who were worshipped by the people and yielded to it, and it destroyed them, and they took tons of people to the bottom with them. That's a sad history. Because Jesus gave them a gift to bless his body, not so they could be worshipped for it. Paul asked the question, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, what do you have actually that you didn't receive as a gift from Jesus? Well, if you did receive it, then why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? Tough question. Look at me. I'm the gifted, anointed man. That makes me want to vomit. Sorry. I'm way outside the lines. For real. I'm jealous for the honor of Jesus, but I'm also jealous for his people and for us that we don't get taken down with this same deception and delusion. It's not about image. It's not about people thinking we're this or that. It doesn't matter. This is the great thing about community. We get to know each other. We see each other's flaws. We know the things that, you know, in my case, the things that trigger me, the things that, you know, it's okay. We're working together as a people, but we're, our goal is to give Jesus what he wants, which is he wants an obedient people that bow their knee at his word and say, Lord, this isn't for me. This word isn't for me so that I can preach it so much. This is a word for me so that I can obey it. That's my first impulse as your disciple is to give you what you want. The leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. That's the image game. What does leaven do? It corrupts, it's unseen, right? You can't see leaven, and it spreads. That's why he doesn't want it in his body. That's why Ananias and Sapphira happened. Can I tell you, just tell you that? At the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit blows out the doors, comes in, the plan of Jesus is getting ready to be put in effect. Here's a community of believers where great grace was upon them all. And here you've got entering in. The enemy knows this. If I can just get the image game in this body of people, I'll be able to destroy it. It'll spread just like leaven and it'll taint everything that they do. So I'm going to get these people. They saw Barnabas who sold his property and gave the proceeds to the apostles, laid it at their feet. So they wanted to be thought spiritual too. Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of property. They go, look, we can sell it for 50 grand, but let's just tell them we sold it for 32. And we'll keep the 18, and we can probably buy an RV when we retire or something like that. 
but you see what was behind that? You see, why would the Holy Spirit call that out? Like how many people over the years have lied about faith promises? I mean, why would the Holy Spirit single that out to start with? That seems a little bit trivial to kill two people, right? Because the enemy is trying to infiltrate and bring his leaven into the body, which is that whole hypocrisy image thing. They wanted to be thought spiritual. Hey, Ananias, did you, uh, did you sell Peter gets a word of knowledge? This, this is how we want spiritual gifts to operate. We want to operate like, no, the Lord says he's going to give you that house that you're going for, right? But no, no, the Lord says, did, did you really sell the property for 32000 Oh, yes, absolutely. We were thinking about building our dream home on that house, and we just felt impressed of the Lord just to give that away and give the money to the poor, all of it dead. Sapphira comes in a few hours later. Same story on repeat. Why is that? I believe this is why. The Lord knows if the enemy gets a culture of image and of hypocrisy in a body, he will run through that thing and taint and destroy everything in it. Then truth doesn't matter. Then the truth of the word of God doesn't matter. Then honesty before the Lord, the kind of heart that produce fruit, right? The, the four soils, the four soil, which kind produce 30, 60, 100 fold? The good and honest heart. Jesus is not willing for his people to be tainted with the leaven of hypocrisy. But our culture is just filled with it, is it not? You don't have to go very far. And social media spreads it. Everybody's profile is hyperbole, almost. I know that's, that's over the top a little bit. It's not everybody. But would you agree with me that that's the vast majority of the culture there? What are we going to do? Eleven. Last verses, Philippians chapter 3, and then I'll be done. Philippians 3, verse 7. Life verses for me. The Lord marked me with these verses when I was just a young believer as a teenager. Just over 10 years ago. Now, now, now I'm in the image thing. Philippians chapter 3. Let me just read through these verses. You guys are really familiar, but I want to take you to, the, to a, a verse further down. I want to get down to verse 15 and, and, and then ask us to think about this. Verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I, I know we love to read this passage and to delight in it, and it is beautiful and powerful. But we have to say, is that really true of me? Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. So I would say that Paul's saying that Jesus Christ is his ultimate treasure, and he could say with an honest heart, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's pretty phenomenal. That's pretty phenomenal. I know we like to do the, the word thing, but when it comes down to it, is that really real? So we should ask ourselves the question, is that real in me? And if it's not, it's not a beat down, it's not a throw down. It's saying, Jesus, that's not really real in me. Here's the honest heart coming to Scripture going, that's not real in me. I love my car and my house more than I love you, Jesus. Which is an improvement because when I first came to you, I loved a candy bar more than I loved you. Or I loved sexual pleasure more than I loved you. Or I love money and the things it could do more than I loved you. Like, let, let's, let's be honest with, the, with our own hearts and with the text. Verse 9, and may be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, notice this. Paul has got a resume that nobody in this room would want to put theirs against, right? He's three years away from being martyred here when he wrote this book. And he says in verse 10, I just want to know him. And I'm like, you don't know him? Then I know I don't know him. If you don't know him, no. You were told the gospel by Jesus face to face. You were caught up into the third heaven and heard things that it was unlawful for people to speak. You started churches all over Europe and Asia, and you were beaten times without number, and you suffered excruciatingly and counted it, but nothing compared to the glory being revealed. But you don't know him. Here's the thing. I'm just saying our language sometimes is really glib. Oh, you really know the Lord so well. I'm like, no. Actually, I could write down everything I know on the corner of this paper right here. Because it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what Paul said. There's no bottom. There's no end. I was reading this last week, just a little thing about the oceans, you know. National Geographic Society, which I don't recommend. But in this case, if they're talking about the ocean, if they're talking about the ocean, it's probably okay. As long as they don't start going into years and dates. Um, but they're saying, still, now, this was July of 2022, 80% of the oceans are completely unexplored, unmapped, and no human person has seen them. We have much more clear mapping of the surface of Mars than we do of our own oceans. It's so deep and massive. And you go, oh, I know the ocean. No, you don't. You've been to Sankey Beach a couple times. You've heard, you've heard the waves come down. But you don't know the ocean. Oh, I know Jesus. I know Christ. Oh, yeah, I just have such a deep. I'm like, mm. If we could own that, it would be so freeing for us to say, Lord, I don't even know. Have you not looked at a sunset and go, God, who are you? Have you not seen a baby born and you go, God, who are you? You're so far beyond my ability to grasp. But the part that I know of you, that I've actually swam a little bit. You're so amazing. I just want to know you more. If Paul could say this at the end of his life, think about it. He's getting ready to be poured out as a drink offering for Jesus and be martyred. And didn't care what all of his friends said. They're begging him not to go. He go, what are you talking about, dude? This is what I was born for. I'm not going out and rusting out. I'm going out in a blaze of glory when they cut my head off. I'm going to go straight into the arms of my heart's desire. That's beautiful. It's powerful. If we could own what's really true, instead of having to throw hyperbole on it to impress people that do not matter at all. No offense. Sorry, I think we're past that, right? I think we're past that. No offense. But the reality is, when I stand before Jesus, when my life's done, when you stand before Jesus, when your life's done, you ain't even going to remember my name and maybe not your wife's. We're going to be blown away. I had two close friends that I went to school with that died this last year, and I pictured them standing before Jesus. I'm like, they just got the biggest mind blow that they could never have anticipated seeing him face to face. He's worthy. Do, do you know in heaven when they're worshiping, they're, they're not doing an intellectual exercise. Jesus is so weighty. 
His gravity is so massive, it sucks everything into him. All attention goes to him. Every song's about him. Every word's about him. Every thought's about what he did and what he accomplished and how glorious he is and how worthy he is to rule the universe and have all authority. And so we say, instead of, God, give me blessing and power and dominion and might and riches. What? No, we're saying, you deserve all of that, so what can I give you that I have? If we could lay down for a little bit, and I know, I know this is in some ways like spitting in the wind because our culture is so rife with the whole image thing. But if I could just help us to think for a minute and be honest with our own heart and life, we would be so much better moving forward. Can I tell you something? It's so freeing not to have to worry about people finding out who you are. That's so freeing. No, if you're a jerk, just own it. I'm a jerk. It's okay. But Jesus is greater. And my stuff is no challenge to him. It's just when I hide it that it becomes a challenge to him. It's so freeing. If, if we could have a community where every heart is actually seeking after, just trying to, to grasp how massive the ocean is and let go of our own need to be loved, adored, and praised by other people, it would be so freeing for us. This would be so freeing. Minister, I've been around ministers for a long time. We're some of the most jacked up, insecure people in the world. So unhealthy. The comparison. It's just, just nonsense. Nothing matters but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what matters. And for us as a people, if we can rally around that and lay down our images, not have to be thought of certain ways by people, look, I'll ask it again. Like, this is a good question to ask ourselves regularly. Look in the mirror. I do this sometimes. I know it's awkward. <clears throat> but I'm okay with awkward. You know that already. Do you want people to believe things about you that aren't true? That's a real question. And I think for most of us, the answer would be on some level, yes. But we need to get past that. No, I just want the truth. I just want the truth. So I'd like for you to, it's only five after 12. Some miracles do still happen. I'd like for us just to take a little bit here. I don't know if you can play or Jade and somebody. I would like for us to ask Jesus, ask Jesus by his spirit to show you and me what is real in our life and what is image so that we can get help. We think, oh, we don't need to. I'm going outside the lines again, Okay. We're having prayer teaching on Wednesday nights. Like, I don't know about you, but like I've been at this for a little while, but I don't think that my prayer life is awesome where I'd put it up on a banner and go, you, you really should emulate this. This is awesome. <laughs> no, really. If you knew. It will help. It helps in community. These folks that teach, I mean, Marie Jenkins is up on this Wednesday. Marie's like a mom on the Lord to me. She, she um, has helped shape my life in prayer probably more than any other person. She's going to share on a personal prayer life. I think you, you should go. You should go. You really should. It helps us to actually receive from the Lord. So ask Jesus. Would you do this? Ask Jesus what's real in your life and what's imaged for him to sort that out for you. And if we could be honest before the Lord, because he already knows everything about our heart and our life. He knows the parts that are just false. He knows the parts that are solid. And he knows the parts that are mixed. And he will help us to get out if we'll be honest with him.
And let's ask him to strengthen the good that's in us and to remove what's false and what's image. Can we, can we go back to that point where we're just coming to Jesus with nothing to offer except our eyes are upon him and let him examine our lives. If the Lord can even deliver us from 5% of the image stuff that we have been tainted with, it would be a, a huge win. It would be a huge win. So I'm going to pray for us. If you want to come down to the altar, you can. If you want people to see you come down to the altar, then don't come. But if you want to come, just come. If you want to stay in your chair, stay in your chair. But I'm just asking that our hearts would take a few minutes here and just ask Jesus to show us the truth about ourselves in the areas that we have embraced image and the areas where we love the praise of men. That's what this is about. This could be a freeing moment for us if we'll just take a minute. So, Father, I thank you for these men and women in this room. Lord, you know it's true. I, I love these people. And I'm one of their, I'm a sheep. And Lord, we need your grace to navigate in this dangerous climate that we live in. Would you help us? Would you show us and reveal to us by your Holy Spirit what is real and what is image? What is solid and what is not solid? What is grounded upon you and what is not grounded upon you so that we can be awakened before we get to the end of our life and filled with regrets or stand before you astonished because we were, after all, Pentecostal. Lord, we want you to change the culture inside of us so that you can change it outside of us. Give us a spirit of humility. Give us a spirit of surrender by your grace. Give us a spirit of awakening. Give us a spirit of new wonder that we might seek after you and recognize how absolutely glorious you are and how little of you we know. I pray that you would do miracles in our hearts this morning. Lord, in your mercy, don't leave us the same. Please don't leave us the same. In Jesus' name. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.